Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. There was a big special the other day. Two for the price of one. I paid for Paramount Plus and I got two Star Treks for the price of one this week. Welcome to Positively Trek. I'm Bruce Gibson. Is that my name? Bruce Gibson? Yeah. I'm Bruce Gibson, and with me is Dan Gunther, who also watched two for the price of one. I did, yes. Two Star Treks. Uh, you know, we got that little taste of that earlier this year with Prodigy and Discovery, the, the one week that there was two of them. But uh, this week, we've got two live-action Star Treks for the first time since uh, 1999, I think it is. And uh, yeah, we've got Picard and Discovery to talk about this week. And yeah, both of them watched them on Crave up here in Canada. And man, it was so much fun. I I love that there's more Star Trek to watch each week now. Yes, I got up early, early on Thursday morning and I watched Discovery first and then I watched Picard. And then I watched them again that evening with my wife. So I've seen them twice And that was on Thursday. And we're recording on a Saturday, so I need to watch them again. Nice. Yeah. I watched Picard on Thursday. It came out on Crave on Thursday. Discovery didn't come out until Friday on Crave. So uh, I had to go against what we talked about last week, where I wanted to watch Discovery first and then Picard. But I couldn't just let that first episode of Picard sit there on Crave unwatched for a whole day i'm only human people come on (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah there's no way that you could just let that sit there wait you're gonna wait when you can watch it no you have Mm -hmm. to watch it because you know what you're craving it that's why they call it crave (laughs) (laughs) that's good branding right there it is well we're going to talk about those two episodes here on the show before we do that we just want to touch on a few things that have come out in the star trek news buzz feeds out there in the world and we do have some star trek picard photos that have been released that uh, we're going to take a quick look at but you know this is an audio podcast so you know you can't see all this but we're going to have a link in the show notes so you can go look at this but these are new publicity photos featuring the cast in their characters in Guinan's 10 forward bar in historic Los Angeles. And, you know, I, I, I really do enjoy these photos. Actually, they should be on cards, right? Like we can like trade cards of these character photos. Ooh, that's cool. So yeah, the, the Star Trek Picard season two trading cards will be coming out at some point later this year. This would make a nice little subset with these character photos on those cards. But, you know, the one that really stood out to me was Brett Spiner, because we haven't seen him in this season of Picard yet. And it's just like, oh, yeah, he's going to be on. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Showing off his uh, shiny watch there. It's a yeah. Nice photo. 
Why why does he need to know what time it is? Come on. Just get on the set and play your part, dude. No, but I'm assuming, yes, we already know he's the 21st century soon that we're going to get. That they all, that whole family line all looks alike. It's just amazing. Very strong genetics in the Sung family, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) But now this 10 forward bar, this is interesting to me because they actually are offering in real life, you can go to this 10 forward bar in Los Angeles Starting March 10th through March 20th, it's a limited time thing and you have to get like a ticket or register to go. And so there are limited number of tickets available. By the time you listen to this, I don't know if they're all gone or anything, but if you go to 10 forward, the number 10, 10 forward, the experience.com, you could register for tickets. Now you have to be 21 years or older to attend the event, but it sounds interesting because it's here in the description, it says that it's going to include food from different food trucks like Lime Truck, Lovebird, Cousins Maine Lobster. And let me just say, anytime somebody says food trucks, I always say I'm there. Here, here, <laughs> here, here. I'm, I'm in Grand Prairie, which is a city of about 60,000 or so. So not a big city, but we've got this kind of growing food truck thing going on and there's some good ones. Uh, so I can't imagine the food truck scene in Los Angeles, this is going to be incredible. Like I would, ah, oh, I would so love to be there. <laughs> yeah. I, I gained weight one time at a star Wars celebration in, in Los Angeles. Well, it was in Anaheim, but every day all these food trucks would show up and I was going to each one. And at this event during the 10 days, it's going to be different food trucks showing up, different partners involved, and there's going to be themed cocktails. And so there's also a pop-up bar It says it will have multiple experimental environments with digital interactions and photo moments throughout the space. So guests will also have access to the 10 Ford Canteen Store featuring Star Trek merchandise and new exclusive products never sold before. Mmm, sounds good to me. I just wish I was in L.A. at that time for this, but that's not going to happen. Yeah, oh, definitely not for me either, unfortunately. I would love to uh, to attend this here. I love this little bit at the end. It says, all alien species are welcome to attend, including Vulcans, Kelpians, Saurians, Cardassians, Romulans, and humans. So Kelpians are welcome. I, I hope I hope there's not a food truck. So, well, we won't go there. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a little dangerous there. But yeah, it's on uh, Palmetto Street there in downtown Los Angeles in the Art District. So you could go down there and check it out if you get tickets. But also in this article from trekmovie.com, we see some ads, outdoor campaign promotion ads in both Los Angeles and New York for Star Trek Picard. And I always love seeing Star Trek ads in the wild. Yeah. You know, when I'm somewhere and there's like a big billboard or something on a building or in this case, uh, in LAX, someone tweeted out all these banners for Star Trek Picard as you're walking through one of the corridors. That would be really thrilling. I, I like you. I love seeing Star Trek stuff in the wild. I would love to see some of this stuff. Uh, definitely not where I am. <laughs> we don't see this kind of thing. But, you know, if I was flying through LAX and I walked through that terminal and saw those banners, oh, that would be that would make my day. Yeah. And also there's uh, digital video banners in the subway stations in New York. This one was in Columbus Circle that this person tweeted out, but I'm sure it's in other stations too. But to your point, it just reminded me 
when I'm bringing up Star Wars Celebration again, in 2016, I was in London for Star Wars Celebration. And as I was leaving, the last two days or whatever, I was there to come back and I had my family with me and stuff. I saw ads all over the place for Star Trek Beyond. Ooh, which was really cool. cool. And I was like, I'm going back home and going back home and I'm thinking Star Trek Beyond now. <laughs> it was great. There you go. Yeah. No, advertising is, I, I love when we see it kind of hitting the mainstream because Star Trek seems to not really bob up above the surface for the general public as much as things like Star Wars do. So it's, it's nice to see that the, the, cultural zeitgeist is picking up on it outside of just the fan circles exactly and speaking of conventions i'll just briefly hint something here it looks like i will be going to star trek mission chicago and i will be moderating a panel it will be on friday afternoon at 145 i think it's either 130 or 145 and it's going to be about star trek books and we'll have some special guests but I'll give you more details later, but I guess that's pretty good details there. So just finalizing some things. So it's it's 80% there. Let's just say that. So there's a chance it might not happen, but I, more than likely it looks like we're good to go. So, hey, come by and see us. And I'll be talking about this every week leading up to it. So exciting. I so wish I could be there with you. That is going to be so much fun. Yes, because, hey... It would be like doing a live show, but I won't have Dan with me. <laughs> that sucks. No. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm going to be sad missing it. I Is there any chance, I know you said that they would be uh, streaming it for uh, people attending the convention virtually. I don't suppose there's any chance we could feature it on an episode of Positively Trek, is there? I don't know. I haven't talked to the Repop or anybody about that, but I'll find out. See okay. That's... That should be on our on our find out list for sure, because that would be cool. I'd love to at least get to edit that <laughs> if I can't be there, you know. <laughs> Why? Because you want to edit it and put yourself in it, right? Exactly. There you go. Get the room tone and find an auditorium that sounds about the same and just record at least myself laughing to your funny jokes and that kind of thing. <laughs> Or if I ask a question to like an author and I say, so tell me how you came up with this character. And then you can insert yourself saying, yeah, I'd be really interested to know why you decided to make the character this da, 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 da. And it'd be, it would sound so natural. Like we're doing the show together. There you go. Podcast magic. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we record this podcast separately from each other where it's not real time. And then we just edit in to make it sound like we're actually talking to each other back and forth. That's absolutely true. Yep. See, you just edited that in. <laughs> I did. I did just edit that in. And I knew you were going to say that. What's really interesting is that we both record ourselves without having heard the other person. And we just both know each other so well. We know exactly how the conversation's going to go and where it's, where it's leading. It's amazing how we can do that. It's like, I should have married you. <laughs> the ultimate uh podcast team up here yeah <laughs> but at least you don't complete my sentences like my wife does <laughs> so uh, yeah that's a whole nother story well there, speaking of stories we have one more story here before we talk about the two episodes of star trek that came out this week so here we go star trek the next generation is leaving netflix in the united states of america in april and this isn't, I mean, I, I guess we all knew this was coming, but I just wanted to mention this because 
it's so weird to me now that all the Star Trek stuff is on Paramount Plus, and I used to watch all this stuff on Netflix. And even though TNG's been on Netflix, I've been watching on Paramount Plus. I've hmm. stopped going to Netflix. And in this case, Deep Space Nine is going to be the only Star Trek series on Netflix in the U.S. Wow. Yeah, it's definitely end of an era. You know, the whole, all the Star Trek series being on Netflix and stuff. And, you know, TNG kind of stuck it out longer than most of the other ones. But uh, it's sad to see it leaving. Uh, here in Canada, I, I think they're all, they're all still on Crave. And I think Netflix as well, for TNG at least, here in Canada. So uh, I'm sure we'll see those dominoes fall at some point in the not-too-distant future as well here. Yeah, and, you know, they still can run other places. I know that TNG, I think, is still shown on BBC America. Um, I mean, they're going to appear in a place. And just because they come off of something, they could show up back later somewhere else. And the reason I'm mentioning that is... I understand why Paramount is doing this, but at the same time, I don't want it to be that the only way new Star Trek fans can find Star Trek is if they subscribe to Paramount Plus, because if they don't subscribe to the service, then they'll never run into what Star Trek is, because they'll never just happen upon it unless they have that one service. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I feel like it would be smart to keep them at least in a semi kind of rotating basis on other services and stuff too. But of course this might not be entirely Paramount's decision either. You know, if, if Netflix is maybe not going to be able to get all of the series, maybe they have some say in the decision as well. I honestly have no idea. I can't, I shouldn't say, I can't say either way, but I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, maybe some of the streaming services that are losing these shows, it might not entirely just be on Paramount. It, they might have some say in that as well. Yeah, it could definitely be. It's a two-sided thing, right? It's two parties trying to come up with stuff. But I, it does seem to lean more towards, I think, Paramount trying to keep everything under their umbrella. But, you know, because we even talked the other week about the movies. When the new movies come out, they'll go exclusively to Paramount Plus after the theaters. And see, that's an interesting thing because when the new movies find a new audience for Star Trek and they want to see more. Where do they go to see more? They're going to have to go and subscribe to Paramount plus. Yeah. I mean, it's, I I'm sure we, I would love to get a look at the binder that has like their five to 10 year plan and, and get all those little, but I'm, I'm sure they have their kind of idea of how they're going to drive people to the app and that kind of thing. So, uh, Yeah. I don't know. It'd be nice to get a little insight into that. <laughs> well, maybe we'll get them on the show and ask them and have them bring their binder with them. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I'm, sh I'm sure that'll go over well. <laughs> I'm sure they'll just read it page by page and give us all the inside info. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> well, no, that's not going to happen. So, But let's go ahead and move forward with reviewing the latest episode of Discovery and Picard, and we'll be doing that here in a moment. I cannot think of any materials that could withstand the extreme pressures at the core of a gas giant. It seems rather impossible for biological entities as well. The 10C must have lived in the gas layers. But how? They must be unlike any species we've ever encountered. Well, there has to be something down there to help us communicate with them. Oh, one structure looks like it's still intact. Perhaps it was reinforced in some way? Or why? We're about to find out. 
Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 11, Rosetta. Mm, I wonder what that means. Well, we're going to touch on that for sure. Absolutely for sure. So now we've got this situation where we've gone beyond the galactic barrier and we're not chasing Book and Tarka in this episode like we were in the last couple ones, which is cool for me. But we do have Book and Tarka in this episode. We have everybody but Tilly, of course, and Gray. But you know, before we get into this, my wife was really concerned after this episode. She said, okay, are we never getting Tilly again? And I was like, no, she's, we're, we know she's coming back. So, you know, but I do have my concerns now because are they going to be stuck in this other galaxy and never return and we never get back to Tilly? <laughs> oh, man, I really hope not. I, I'm, I'm assuming that part of it's going to be done in the next two episodes. I really hope anyway. Uh, we've been told Tilly is coming back this season. Now we're down to just two episodes left. So like she's either back next week or the week after, right? Like she's coming <laughs> back, right? I'm, I don't know. I'm starting to get a little worried too. I, okay. I, I know we're kind of going off on tangent here, but I was thinking about how if they don't come back, you know, think how Bryce has stayed behind and they're working on a communication device, you know? I mean, Tilly could just communicate with them. Doesn't mean the ship comes back, you know? Yeah. And she never returns to the Discovery. Okay, I'm I'm sorry to depress everyone. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think they'll be back home. I mean, they they're... <laughs> I can't see them flying around between galaxies for the rest of their lives with like the the Federation president, the Navarre president, the head of Earth's military on board. They're, they're going to get back. They, they at least have to drop them back off. <laughs> well, that's my concern is if they didn't get back, then you don't have a president of the Federation. You don't have all those people that you need to run the Federation, right? So, yeah. So to me, to me, that's just proof they get back. They'll get yes. back. Okay, good. Ah, you took that worry out of my mind now. I'm so glad. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate that. So, okay, this felt very Star Trek to me. Of course, all Star Trek is Star Trek, but I love the idea of a dead planet that they have to go visit. And this is a dead planet because it was bombarded by asteroids. And the fact that they just like beam down there and it's just so unusual. And I'm thinking they had to use the volume mm -hmm. device for this, you know, it just, I just love this whole examination of the planet and the, Dyson fear thing with the star or whatever. That was pretty cool. The Dyson rings. Yeah. Dyson rings. Yeah. I find it funny that, uh, that they, that they explored the planet. They didn't make any mention if there's any ruins on these Dyson's rings at all or anything like that. Like, I feel like that would be an important thing to, to check out, but you know, they do check out this planet. It was formerly a gas giant, and they take the shuttle down, like you said, and, and check it out. This, yeah, it was, it, I had like a, I don't know, Mission to Mars vibe or something from it. It was, it was yeah. interesting. I, I thought it was kind of a cool setup for sure. Yeah, exactly. It had that Mission uh, to Mars kind of feel to it. Very, it felt otherworldly, right? Because mm -hmm. it looks so good. And yeah, I mean, the production value of these shows is just, incredible it's just i mean just other shows too outside of star trek it's just incredible what we're getting now but i mean I, I love it and then the other side of things that's going on we do have book and tarka and they're kind of hiding behind something you know so discovery doesn't find them and 
they need to tag along with Discovery when Discovery goes to find species 10C and try to tap into this energy source and all that. And the way they want to do it is just piggyback on top of Discovery. And I love how Tark is just like, yeah, we'll just create a patch. We'll just ride it on the patch and they will never notice us. And Like he's so cocky and confident, like I got it all figured out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're going to put a patch into the Discovery's computer so that Zora doesn't detect the, the ship, a, a kind of software patch or something. I thought it was kind of interesting. I did like the perspective of them because they've, they've got to sneak on board Discovery to do this. I liked seeing Discovery kind of through their eyes with them sneaking around and no one knowing. Well, not very many people knowing anyway. The, that list does get two names added to it at some point, but we'll get there. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then, of course, we have to have the talking heads of what the mission is and what we need to do and all these things. And then we have Dr. Harai, who wasn't eating in this first scene. <laughs> but was eating in several others. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, good. They don't have a meeting anymore. And then later we see him eating again. I'm like, oh, my gosh. But I love it. Present- <laughs> yeah. And then there's General Doya and the president and there's the Ferengi. Like, everybody's there before the mission to the planet is going to happen. And so we'll touch back on that a little bit later, but then back on the planet, like we were talking about when they go down the planet, Burnham starts to figure out that this, this feels like a mass grave that we find cartilage and things that, you know, beings that were in this gas giant that would have swarm around stuff. And they're dead on this desert type, dusty planet and such and then i love how they're in their suits their environmental suits that's the one thing i love about the production value in this that always kind of bothered me on the other star trek shows when i used to watch them how they can beam down to so many things in just their standard uniforms that they never need helmets really i mean it's rare that we ever see something like this they have a uniform for everything on this ship mm-hmm. absolutely <laughs> yeah i i love this whole bit with the the cartilage and and finding the the kind of nature of these beings. And this is where I think the uh, influence of their science advisor is really coming in because that's something I remember reading about a lot was kind of speculation about if gas giants were to have life forms, what form would they take? And some of them pictured like these, these light kind of balloon type creatures that, that lived in the gas layers and other ones with, like we see here, very low density bodies that kind of floated through the, the thick atmosphere and stuff. And I think that's really cool. I love the idea that the species that we're going to see is completely different from anything we've seen before. And using that idea that, I've seen as scientific speculation, I'm trusting them to realize that in a science fiction setting here, this is going to be pretty cool. I think once we finally meet them. Yeah. It's not a, just a humanoid species with ridges, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Very alien. Yeah. And then when Saru has that vertigo kind of hallucination thing starts to happen, I'm thinking, is he going back into his regression, back into his Kelpian self of fear, you know? But then mm. it kind of changes a little later. Yeah, that was interesting. And that was my thoughts as well, especially when he says he senses the coming of death. 
something that he hasn't sensed in a long time. And that was just like pure shout out here to the acting of Doug Jones, because the, the different faces of Saru and his, his panic and fear in this moment was so real. Like it felt so realistic and even him trying to kind of maintain that stiff upper upper lip through it. Like when Burnham looks at him and kind of gives him a nod and he like steals himself and nods back, like I'm fine kind of thing. So good that that man can act through, first of all, all of those layers of prosthetics and then encased in a helmet on top of that. I, I was thinking like I would have a claustrophobic panic attack if I were him, but he just like acts through it. It is awesome. <laughs> That's a great shout out. Yeah, because it's amazing that that is conveyed so well through mm-hmm. everything that you just said. And I mean, it does work. I mean, it's just amazing how he does that. And, he, and he's walking in those hooves, you know, like, <laughs> like, my gosh, this man's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I just keep thinking he's going to have some really back pain, like when he gets older or something. I hope not. (laughs) But man, it's just crazy. But I love it then when they say that they detect like this structure that they're going to go into. And when they get there, it's, you know, again, very alien thing. and, And they think maybe it's a tomb or something like they're trying to figure out what it is. And then, you know, Saru's still going through that, those emotions and then Cobra's like, you know, hey, sit down. Let me check you out. And then when it hits Cobra, I was like, whoa, whoa, wait, what's going on here? Like, why, why all of a sudden is he getting affected? And then later we see Burnham get aff- infected from this. Yeah, that was a great choice to make Saru the first one because it really kind of throws our expectations off. Like something's made Saru revert back to his old self or something like that. And then... No, it's something completely different. There's something else going on here. And uh, again, acting from everybody in this whole situation here, they do a really good job, I think. Uh, Saru, the best of all, of course. But yeah, it's interesting. And then we're like, okay, what's going on? Uh, And I like how they kind of work the problem kind of the same way we're thinking through it a little bit, right? Like, well, okay, it happened to Saru first, but it happened outside. It affected Culber later when they were inside. And, oh, Culber touched Saru, so maybe that has something to do with But then Burnham was affected, and she didn't touch Saru or Culber. So what's going on? I like that kind of like, okay, let's troubleshoot this. Let's try and figure it out. That was a, it was fun to see that, that kind of problem solving hypothesis, scientific method stuff at work. Uh, yeah. And, but then Detmer wasn't affected and they're like, mm-hmm. why isn't it affecting her? And she's like, I don't know. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, all of a sudden it's going to hit her right just now. And it yeah. didn't, you know? And when Burnham's like, I think, didn't she tell her that at some point Detmer may need to just take the shuttle and go back and leave them or, you know, they separate. I thought just I don't know why I keep going to death. I don't know. But I thought, oh my gosh, they're going to kill off Detmer. Because I thought if they separate them with Detmer and Detmer goes off on her own, I thought that because of what Adira said to Detmer when they were leaving and Mm. said, fly good, you know, and was like, and we see a conversation later, whatever Adira's talking about how much they admire Detmer. And I thought, oh my gosh, we've set this up so that Detmer's going to die and 
<laughs> That's I don't know why I keep killing off people. Well, your threat ganglia are out, so I, I can see where that might be coming from. But no, uh, there is that that fear in Star Trek Discovery as well, that when a character gets development, you know, Arium, season two, anybody? Right. right. Uh, and the thing is, yeah, Detmer doesn't really get the, the backstory development until later in the episode after the danger is passed, I think. So that's when it kind of started to come to me that like, oh, character development. Uh Oh, she's in danger. Wait, no, the episode's almost over. I'm sure she's fine. But I I get that. There's always that danger with the kind of uh, lower level cast members, I guess, than than the main cast members that, yeah, they they could easily write them out or, or get rid of them. And that that would be really sad to me, especially for Detmer. I love Detmer so much. She's awesome. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like Adira in this episode. I'm like, oh, I love Detmer so much. She's amazing. She's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just the format of programming now where I expect anything could happen. You know, I mean, when I mm-hmm. watched TNG, I wasn't worried. Oh, is Riker going to die and never come back? Again? Like, the only time I ever worried about that was in the best of both worlds. You know, when yeah. season three ended, it's like, oh, well, Patrick Stewart might not come back and they kill off Picard. But any other time, I've never really been worried. And yeah, we've had major characters like, for example, Judzia Dax, you know, dying or so. But, you know, it, it wasn't very often, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. First season TNG, I was just like, yeah, I mean, yeah, like they're going to kill off Tasha Yar. Oh, wait, crap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. At that point, we should have been really worried, I guess, through the rest of TNG, you know? <laughs> they killed off a major character in the first season yeah but like you say it's very rare so but but in the modern ones not so rare not everybody's safe yeah thinking game of thrones and stuff i've been watching too many of that stuff i guess Mm -hmm. but yeah (laughs) so the result of this and you're talking about finding more about detmer let's talk about what burnham decides to do when they realize it's dust it's this it's this hydrocarbon dust that they've touched that's seeped through their their suits that should have blocked it out, but they weren't set up to block out that, you know, cause everything's so alien. Like we, we don't always know, you know, how to handle certain things if they're alien to us. Right. So you have to now set up the, the suits to block out the dust. Mm-hmm. But then she finds, she comes to determine burden determines that what they're in is a nursery, which I thought was really good that they were saying like, they really protect their young. You know, that that's that's a priority to them, that they built this structure that even though they, you know, the elders, the adults of this species was attacked and and died from this asteroid collision, that they did everything they could to make sure that the young would live. Yeah, that was interesting, like getting some insights into what they value and, and that sort of thing. Uh, the other thing, this this was where I really noticed and kind of realized like oh yeah they're using the the big ar wall uh to simulate these environments was the inside of this building with the kind of almost like jellyfish like structures kind of floating in the background and stuff that environment was really impressive and i was like that must be really cool to walk around on that set with those ar walls active that would be pretty cool yeah, I'd love to see a behind the scenes look at some of these scenes when they're mm-hmm. filming it. You know, it's just 
it is got to be really cool to be an actor, anybody on the crew to see, be on that set and just see that environment surrounding you. It looks so real. Like if I didn't know that's the technology they were using, I would say, man, that's some really good green screen going on there. Right. But it doesn't look like that. You know, it looks better than that. Yeah, definitely. And you can definitely tell the difference. Like you can really feel that the actors feel more real in this environment than in green screen work. Yeah. Cause you know, green screen, it's a little more flat. I mean, this really is surrounding the actors, you know? So there's distance and it's, it's there, it's in the moment. It's not superimposed. It's, it's just, it's, you know, every time I think of stuff like this, I think what's the next thing that's going to be invented, you know? It's just uh, got to be the holodeck, right? <laughs> right. Which is mentioned in this episode. <laughs> so, but, okay. So then Burnham's looking at this dust in the nursery and takes a chance and she turns off her whatever environmental, whatever controls to touch the dust with her glove. And she experiences peace, safety, a calmness, opposite of what they experience with the other dust. But with the nursery, with the young, it's that innocence of feeling safe and protected that they haven't felt probably since they were young. And I said, give me some of that dust. I need it right now. Yeah. And they kind of discover that this is like the remnants of the pheromones that that this these creatures, this species uses. Uh, and that seems to be kind of how they communicate. Yes. I like to call it nursery hydrocarbon love dust. Nice. You can buy it at Walmart next week. <laughs> so, but I, I don't know about this, Dan. It was like, I, I really was like, it made me think about my childhood, you know, about when I was really little and did feel very protected. I don't know what it is. It was just something about that moment that made me really think, because first of all, I was feeling for the characters, especially even like Saru. You know, it's just, you know, that moment of peace. And and I thought about how there have been times that I've been to my parents' house. And by the way, my parents, we don't live in the same state I grew up in. They're not in the same house. I've never lived in the house they live in now. So there's no connection. And I mean, a lot of the furniture's new. It doesn't even feel like anything like where I grew up, but my parents are there. But there's when I go there sometimes, I, sometimes I feel at peace. It, I feel that protectiveness just it's like that childhood feeling comes back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, hmm. I totally get where you're coming from there. And, and when you put it in those terms, I totally get it. I totally understand because I feel the same way. And, and just this conversation's bringing up a lot of stuff that that's just re recently kind of happening. My parents, live right now in the same house that they lived in for my entire life. Like I, I grew up there and, and when I come home, it's to there and that's the feelings I associate with that place. And, uh, <laughs> just yesterday, um, my parents announced to me that they're planning on selling and, and moving to town. They live out in the farm and, uh, it's funny just you saying this just now is making me think of, of that place. And I mean, home is wherever your parents are. Right. Or, or right. at least in, at least in my case, I feel like that, that will be the case. 
But uh, at the same time, it's like, that's interesting. I'm sorry, I'm kind of going on a bit of a tangent here, but uh, those feelings, every time I go home to my parents' place, it's just like, it's like a half hour drive from where I live right now, but it feels like the end of a long journey when I get there and I just kind of, you know, and I'm, I'm home again. Right. Right. And I, and I think that's honestly because it's my parents, it, it's them. And, yeah. and that feeling of no matter how old you are, no matter where you are in your life, that makes you feel protected and loved. And I get that. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, even though, I mean, it's, it's, it's probably more so for you because it's the house you grew up in. That's, that just adds mm-hmm. more weight to it and you're going to lose that, but you're right. You know, it's where your parents are, but then, you know, at some point in our lives and people listening to the show, we lose our parents, like, you know, and then we have to go through that. And those, those feelings of returning to something are going to fade away more so over time. And maybe that's why this kind of, it didn't like really emotionally affect me. Like I didn't, I wasn't like tearing up or anything. It was just of like, Oh, that calmness, you know? Cause I think the older you get, the more distant that feels that feeling of when you were a kid and feel protected like that, you know? And so I want that dust. <laughs> you know? I get that. I absolutely get that. So, yeah. Anyway, let's, let's move on. I don't want to get too emotional, but someone did get emotional in this scene and that was Detmer because she was talking about the relationship with her father. We've come to find out that she lost her mother and her father had issues. And so her childhood doesn't sound like it was perfect. Yeah. My, my heart broke a little bit when she starts to say, I've, I've just, I've never felt and and you, she's, she's going to say, I've never felt this before. Or, yeah. oh, what a heartbreaking moment. And to feel that for the first time, what a, man, what a, what a moment. And then, like, the, the, the combination of feeling that emotion and the realization that that's been missing from your life up to that point, that, that was heartbreaking to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we've all seen the episode, so it's okay that we're going to jump ahead on things or back and forth or whatever. But, you know, later when she's on the ship and Adira approaches her, they ask if they can sit with her and she says, sure. But I'd like to see and I'm hoping we see more of that play out because I hadn't thought about till now. But what was Detmer thinking as she sat there alone at the table? You know, mm. and how is this going to affect her going forward? But then they also figure out that these hydrocarbons, this dust, is comparable to the Rosetta Stone, which is an earth artifact used to decipher hieroglyphics from ancient Egypt. And so we can use this to communicate and understand how to communicate with species 10C. Yeah. And of course, we all know about the Rosetta Stone and and how that... Uh facilitated deciphering those hieroglyphics. But uh, I, I like the the comparison here and, and the idea of, I think they said it was 16 different distinct pheromones that combined to create all these different words and stuff or ideas, I suppose, and emotions that that was fascinating. Like, I like that they have this basis for that communication now and that this mission really was worth it. 
when all was said and done. I mean, we knew it would be, but, you know, Burnham had to prove her to herself and to everyone else that this mission was worth it. And she did. Yeah, because General Nadoy didn't think it was worth it. You know, we shouldn't mm-hmm. be wasting our time with this. You know, you don't know if going down the planet is really going to give you any information. We just need to go to the species. We need to do this now. Time is running out. Earth and Navarre, they're you know under threat of this DMA, and we got to take care of this now. Which leads us into the whole Book and Tarka storyline, where we talk about earlier about the patch, because Book and Tarka, of course, want to hide the sh- hide their ship on top of Discovery as they go to Species 10C. And so they have to get on the ship to create that patch so, so that Zora doesn't detect them, like you were saying earlier. Which, you know, was you know a fun storyline to see them kind of running around the ship together and trying to get this done, and so nobody sees them and all that stuff. Did you like this part of the, the episode? Oh, that's a bit of a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked seeing discovery from that perspective and the idea of kind of sneaking around and stuff, but I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of, I I hate to say it. I'm kind of done with Tarka and book. Like they both need to smarten the heck up at this point. And I'm just, I'm kind of out of patience with them. If this makes sense, like, ah, you know, books kind of rationalization here where he says, you know, Burnham's going to succeed. She's going to be able to get this information and then we'll have to follow her and, and take out the, the power system. Okay. First of all, these, the species is so high above you. You're just going to go in and, and take it out somehow. Okay. Good luck with that. A and B, like Tarka says, you know, if if you have so much faith in in Burnham, like why don't you trust her to uh, do first contact? And his rationalization was like, well, I trust Burnham, but I don't trust Species Ten C. That's pretty weak. I don't know. I'm I'm pretty annoyed with Book at this point. You know, I had a lot of patience with him for a long time. Tarka, I write off. Like he's a lost cause. I don't like him he's gonna get them all killed hopefully not literally but that's just the kind of person he is but book come on you're smarter than this dude come on i you know now that you're saying that i do recall thinking that towards the beginning of that, but that conversation you're just talking about i remember thinking i was surprised because i was expecting book to say no we gotta we gotta join them we gotta let's go to discovery we you know because i can see at this point you know, they, they weren't able to destroy the DMA. And sure, they may be able to do it now. But remember in that episode where they were going to destroy it and really did destroy it, even though it came back, you know, he reached common ground, which is a theme in this episode, but he reached common ground with Burnham at that moment. And she's like, mm-hmm. give us a week and then we'll use your plan. Well, what, you know, this is someone that he's the closest to, meaning Burnham, and that he's in love with. So... I think at this point he would want to join with her and say, okay, Michael, what's the plan? What are you doing? Okay. I know you're going to try to communicate them. I'm all for it, but let me be the backup. Let me you know, work with you that if that's not going to work, then let's use that backup plan and destroy it. Now she's resistant to that. I can see him going back to Tarka and saying, all right, she's not even, but he's not even communicating with her. No. You know, and yeah. I, yeah, I'm a little frustrated too with that. And I mean, to extend that idea further as well, like 
Tarka needs to think things through a little bit as well here. If they did join up with Burnham and the Discovery, they could negotiate with Tenzi for access to the power that he needs to do his thing. Now, granted, I don't know if the Federation will be okay with that. I'm pretty sure they want to charge him with you know, attempted genocide or whatever and lock him away or whatever the heck they're going to charge him with at this point. But I don't know. Neither of them are really thinking through on this. Like they're going to somehow destroy this thing in the middle of their territory and survive that. Uh, I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah. Well, all right. Well, putting that aside, (laughs) I did kind of enjoy them running around the ship, doing their little mission. But the thing I really enjoyed the most about it is that Book did have that moment with General Nadoy to talk about, hey, you know, well, watching that conversation she was having with Tarina in the mess hall, observing that and knowing, oh, she may be an ally. So it was kind of cool that, okay, we're, you know, we're kind of bringing those characters together and, you know, not everybody's on the same page or feel the same way, which has been explored throughout the season. So I kind of like that. But my favorite part was more about Tarka and Reno. I mean, mm-hmm. come on, especially when she goes hiding and he finds her and she's like, oh, do I spoil, you know, spoil the surprise party? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was fun. So first of all, uh, General Ndoye, I think, is a really interesting character. And I love that we have these differing opinions, you know, like I think that's important. And it's a little scary that Book and Tarka now have their inside man on Discovery, in quotes, inside man. Uh, And, you know, I'm curious to see how Ndoye will figure into things going forward I hope she doesn't get into too much trouble and I hope she maybe comes around and brings book with her. Maybe, I don't know. I'm not sure how that's all going to play out, but yeah, with Reno, first of all, the fact that she's in this episode at all. Yay. Awesome. Reno's back. Okay, cool. We have some great moments between her and Adira. That's a lot of fun. And then, yeah, this moment where, you know, they've lured Reno out of engineering so that they can do, Tarka can do his thing. And then Reno comes back too soon, I guess. And I sure hope I spoiled a surprise party or whatever she says. I like that. (laughs) Yeah. And I found myself, I, I, I wasn't too worried about Reno, but they go a while with like, that's where the scene ends. And then you don't see her again until close to the end of the episode. And you know, something happened there and you're like, what happened? Is Reno? Okay. If Tarka hurt Reno, I'm going to be so mad and all this stuff. So, um, you know, the fact that, Reno's in the position she's in at the end of this episode. A, I'm sad for that. That sucks for her. But B, I'm pretty sure this means we get more of her in the next two episodes, which I'm thrilled about. (laughs) Well, I'm glad now that we're talking about that. It's so good because we're saying we're kind of annoyed about Book and Tarka, but now Reno's going to be there. So now these scenes may be something we're actually looking forward to. (laughs) That's a great point. Like Book and Tarka thinking they're mightier than thou and are going to save the galaxy. 
offset that a bit with Reno's snark. And I'm on board, actually. Yeah, I'm coming around to that. I'm going to enjoy those scenes. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. Now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, she's going to be snarky with every plan they come up with. She's going to be like, really? You really think you can do that and that's going to work? Okay. You know, whatever the thing is that they talk about. My favorite line that made me laugh both times I watched the episode, I don't know why, is when Linus is complaining about the replicators and not working and stuff. And she's like, I just fixed one on deck five. It was producing steamed bananas. And I don't know why steamed bananas just makes me laugh. Well, you know, know what that's a reference to, right? No, what? Lower decks, very first episode. Banana, oh. hot, banana, hot, banana, hot, coming out of the replicator. Okay, yeah, I did think, well, when she's, yeah, I did think of that scene, but I forgot that they said banana hot. I, just, I was thinking of Lower Decks and the banana. Th yeah, but I didn't. I forgot about the hot part. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and Boiler uh, catching it going, ooh, ooh, ouch, ouch hot. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. That's so brilliant. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yes. Because I did think Lower Decks, but I didn't think about the hot part. Yeah. Ah. Uh, nice. Okay. Well, see, it's all one universe, people. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, I think, you know, we touched on a lot of, like, Tarina and Saru, they decide to go to the holodeck. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know if I want to see that scene. I don't know what's going to happen in there. They're going, they're just going for a walk. You heard the president. They're just going mm -hmm. for a walk. And then you see the look on Stamets' face where he's like, oh. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was great. That was a lot of fun. Well, is there anything else you want to mention about this episode before we give our final thoughts? So yeah, final thoughts on this episode. Um, I, I generally enjoyed it. I kind of, I, hmm, how do I put this? It's not that I'm like impatient for the end or anything like that, but I do feel like discovery might have a bit of a pacing issue when it comes to the ends of their seasons. If that makes any sense. I recently watched a video by Steve Shives, friend of the show, and he made a really good point about how so far every season of Star Trek Discovery has ended with, you know, kind of drying out the story a little bit until the last episode or two and then giving us a million plot points and wrapping things up really frenetically with a whole bunch of stuff happening all at once. And he's got a really good point. Season one ended like that. Season two ended like that. And season three ended like that. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to be kind of worrying that that's where season four is going a little bit. Don't get me wrong. I love Discovery. I've enjoyed all three of those previous seasons. My reviews are on record. I enjoyed those episodes. But it does sometimes feel like there's a little bit of treading water for a little while before, okay, now finally all the big stuff happens right at the end. And I'm a little worried about that. And this episode was a little slow to me. I really enjoyed the themes. I enjoyed the characterizations. I enjoyed the little moments, but at the same time, it did feel like a little bit of kind of caught in quicksand, just a little bit. It just felt a little slow to me. So, yeah, I don't know what to say other than like I enjoy what's going on, but I'm pretty eager for things to kind of get moving a little bit more than they have been. So, uh, yeah, this is probably, I'm going to say, sadly, 
my least favorite episode of the season so far, but still enjoyable. So yeah, I'm going to give it uh three out of five non Kelpian induced panic attacks. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's interesting. That, yeah. I can see exactly what you're saying. I think that's how I felt in the previous two episodes. It's like, I want to just get there. Uh, but I didn't feel that way with this one because I think I really was enjoying the on planet scenes that, that whole thing, because it was like, okay, we are here, you know, and now we're, now we're trying to determine what the species is and what they're all about. And so that really worked for me as you were talking, I was started thinking how the previous episode, I remember saying, you know, getting through the galactic barrier, that storyline was just getting through the barrier. There really wasn't much there. There's good character moments, but you know, so I almost think like this could have been a really cool episode and maybe be too much for one episode. But if we would have gotten last week's episode about Tarka as one of the storylines and the alternate storyline is the crew here on this planet. And maybe in the early part of the episode, they get through the galactic barrier within 10 minutes or something. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But to your point that, yeah, it feels like they come up with a beginning and an end and then they, they fill the, the middle of the season of just, you know, doing these little storylines to get to it. And then, okay, now we're ready to tell the end of the story and here's all this stuff. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah, I mean, I guess I am a little worried too. But to your point, I've enjoyed them all too. But I, I did enjoy this episode probably a little more than the last two. Well, maybe about on par with last week's, but just a little higher. But I'll say, you know, four out of five steamed bananas for this one. Nice. That's a that's a great rating. I love it. Okay, next, let's talk about Star Trek Picard, but we'll be back right after this. Thank you so much to our Patreon supporters for helping us to bring you this episode of Positively Trek. We truly could not do it without your support. To join the ranks of our Patreon supporters, such as Carl Morris, Joyce Marin, Jim Stoffel, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, Paul D. Kinnear, and John Blaber, please go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can join at any level to receive perks such as early access to episodes and exclusive bonus content. And at higher levels, there are shoutouts and associations producer credits, and much more. Thank you once again for your support of Positively Trek. And now, let's get back to the show. Why have you chosen to be alone? I'm hardly alone. You know what I mean. As you say, I've spent my life in the stars. And is that what you really want? all you really want so now we're on star trek picard season two episode one the star gazer not one word star gazer (laughs) now the star gazer was jean-luc picard's first command which we do get here which we saw a preview of last week if anybody watched the ready room or something else like on youtube or whatever and that's how this episode started off dan did you even see that because when we recorded last week you hadn't seen that yet uh yeah no it's it 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 was just the teaser for this episode basically was yeah what had been released so uh yeah (laughs) yeah so this whole thing before the credits is well 
this whole thing played out before we go to 48 hours earlier is what I saw last week. So up until the countdown of the ship destroying, you know, to, to be destroyed and the Borg Queen saying something to Picard, which we'll talk about a little later and all that stuff going on. So uh, what did you, what, you know, I, I don't know. What did you think of that opening scene on the starship and how the ship looked? Because I thought the ship looked fantastic. This looked incredible. I mean, I don't like to echo some of the language of people who have not liked the new Star Trek and that kind of thing. But to me, this felt like a bit of a return to the Star Trek before, like at least the looks of it. The security team running through the ship and on the turbo lift, it felt like... It felt like it could have been out of Star Trek Nemesis or something from that time. Like it felt of that era a little bit, but modernized. Uh, the look of the ship, the corridors, the turbo lift, the bridge, all of it very, very well done by the production designers and the team that put it together. Uh, a lot of whom are people that worked on previous star treks that they brought in for picard season two and three so uh yeah i'm loving the look of it it looked incredible yeah i funny you said about nemesis i was thinking this feels like some of the tng movies you know that feel to it mm -hmm. and yeah the l cars and the graphic displays and everything yeah the lighting and the bridge you know the bridge you know, Discovery's bridge is so wide, so spread out, you know, and this feels more, I mean, this is still a big bridge, but it doesn't, ha it feels more like the traditional bridges that we've been used to in yeah. Star Trek. This one, I like it because it's as, it's as wide as Discovery's bridge, but there's just, there's a little bit more railings and interesting things going on in it. And it yeah. feels different. It feels more like the traditional Star Trek bridge, even though there's a lot new in here that we've not seen before as well. The one thing I didn't like about this bridge is it's like the captain's chair is like four steps up or something like that. I'm like, that's a pretty um, impractical, you know? And I think it's, at one point he'd like jumped up there. Or something. Yeah. It seems like it's, it's pretty much on a pedestal. Yeah, for sure. I, I do know. Yeah. Yeah. So, but outside of that, yeah, I thought it looked great. But then we go to 48 hours earlier because we see that, you know, something's happening to Picard and the Borg Queen's there. And boom, we go to 48 hours earlier and we're at Chateau Picard, just like how we started season one. And I was enjoying watching all the grapes being beamed off of the vines. <laughs> because of course they would be, right? Like, that makes sense. That was great. I was like, oh, yeah, of course that's how they do it. That's awesome. <laughs> and his dog, number one's there with him. And and the music playing and the people working. And Laris is there. And I kept saying, where's Jabon? Where, where's Jabon? <laughs> oh, that makes me so sad. Yeah, so then we see... Picard and Laris at the end of the day, having a glass of wine together as they're just chit-chatting in the evening about things. And yeah, we find out Siobhan had passed away. Like, mm -hmm. uh, I guess we need to see this is what we're talking about. Uh, Discovery, they're killing off characters. <laughs> yeah, definitely sad to hear of Siobhan's passing. And it's too bad they, they wrote him out. I really liked him as well as Laris. Laris is still my favorite Romulan of all time, I think. But Jabon's up there. You know, he was pretty great, too. 
Yeah, but, you know, they had to open up Laris to have a relationship with Picard, or at least an interest in Picard. She starts, you know, indicating to him that, you know, now that, you know, Romulans show their deep love by, you know, having that love, but when one passes on, you keep that deep love going by having another deep love relationship with well, you, someone you, else. You honor that previous love by loving yes. deeply still and and even deeper. Yeah. Yes. I thought that was interesting. I love discussions of different cultural ideas and that one was kind of cool. And I love Picard's look like, oh, oh, me. Uh, okay. But we know and... he's not totally shocked, right? Because of the look that he gave Laris earlier too. Like right. he's noticed her for mm-hmm. sure. But uh she asks him a question, why have you chosen to be alone? And that seems to be the theme of the season. Mm-hmm. So they go to lean in to kiss after, you know, while they're having this conversation and he doesn't go through with it. And obviously this is why he hasn't married or still in a relationship with Beverly Crusher. He is not able to commit. Something is holding him back. And I thought this was an interesting setup because, yeah, we've seen Picard in relationships, but never going that final frontier of marriage or anything, right? I mean, we saw in the novels that he did marry Beverly Crusher, but, you know, that's a different type of storyline. But this kind of really does, in a lot of ways, to me, echo what Jean-Luc is. You know, he's always kind of been standoffish. He's he, Over time, he seems to relax more around kids and other people. But I think this works. Do you think this works for the character? I definitely do, for sure. I mean, like you said, with him being distant from children and that sort of thing, right? There's there's obviously something in his makeup or or what has put him together over the years that has caused him to resist having a long-term relationship, having a family and that sort of thing. We've like you said we've seen him have relationships in the past but nothing that was really long-term. There was Vash, of course, which, you know, she's she doesn't seem to be the kind of person that you would settle down with. Uh, Lieutenant Commander Nella Darren, right? That was kind of the other major romance we saw. And it seemed like he wanted to kind of pursue something long term. But of course, that didn't work out in in any way that could move forward kind of thing. So, you know, it's it's interesting that we seem to be about to learn more about why that is, you know, and. I think I've seen some people online wondering about why they're exploring this as far as, you know, people asking Picard, why have you chosen to be alone? Like that's a bad thing. And I don't necessarily feel like they're saying that it's a bad thing. It's just questioning why he's made that choice. What led him to make that choice? And maybe they'll, they'll frame it as like, well, he shouldn't make that choice. He should make a different choice, but they might not, you know, it might not be that that was a bad choice. It's just why has Picard, why has that become what his life is at this point? Yeah. And then we get this flashback to his childhood where he's at the Chateau in their home and he goes into that greenhouse area and he's, you know, flashing back to himself as a a child and his mother is there and it, you know, 
and I wanted to ask you this, and I didn't look it up. I couldn't remember. Had we ever gotten anything in the series that talked about his mother much? Do we know much backstory on this character? No, we only saw her the one time, I think, in Picard's memories in the episode where no one has gone before, where your thoughts become real kind of thing. And I think she's there briefly. But yeah, we hadn't seen much of her. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Because I can't remember. Because I know, of course... Robert, you know, his brother, we got a lot of him and uh, in an episode of Family, and we've heard about his father. And it sounded like Jean-Luc had a strained relationship with his father and even with his brother. And But, you know, we don't know a whole lot about the, his mother. And, and here she is in the scene, and it sounds like there's an abusive relationship going on there between Jean-Luc's father and his mother, maybe even with his father and, and Jean-Luc himself. Yeah, this is something that is very, very clearly drawn from Patrick Stewart's own life based on on stories he's told and, and groups he's advocated for and that kind of thing. So it's interesting that they're bringing that into Picard's character and it, you know, it, it fits from what we've heard before. You know, there's there's nothing to to preclude this from being something that happened. We've heard that, that Picard's father was very hard on him and disagreed with his decision to go to Starfleet and all that stuff. But that's really all we really knew, you know, other than we saw him briefly in the episode tapestry and Q kind of makes him appear there. And his appearance there is basically him saying, I told you Jean-Luc that joining Starfleet would bring you to a bad end. And, Picard looks pretty taken aback from seeing his father. So I don't, it kind of fits. I don't know. And it's almost suggested is that Jean-Luc wanted to go to the stars because of this moment with his mother where, you know, in order to escape what's going on in this household and his life, in order to escape, this is their safe place together. And just to look up, look up at the stars. And it's almost like as a child, as these events are occurring, these bad events, he's going up and he's looking up at those stars and that's his escape. And it's almost suggesting that he took a career in Starfleet and has been a captain all this time because he wanted to go to his safe place to escape into the stars. But of course it ends up not being a safe place for him. That's you know, with the Borg and everything else going on. He, in a lot of ways, he doesn't have a safe place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. He needs some of that nursery love dust I was talking about in Discovery. <laughs> there you go, yeah. <laughs> you know? So then we see the USS Avalon detecting a strange spatial anomaly. And I'm like, oh no, is it the DMA? No, it's not. Don't worry, people. It's something else. It's another anomaly. <laughs> we like anomalies in here. And so that leads into like a commercial break. And then we come back and we find... Laris and Picard at the Chateau and Picard's looking for a book. And I love it how he's, she knows exactly what book he's looking for because now they have this strange thing. Cause this weird thing happened the night before where they went to kiss and he pulled back and she's, you know, she left a little upset knowing that he's just being himself. He's being Jean-Luc, you know, not letting her in, you know, that's how he is. And now he's looking for this book. He's like, oh, I'm looking for this book. And she knows exactly what book without naming it. And she goes and brings it to him. She knows where it is. 
And I love how her lines, she says that she's too old for awkward. I love that line. I'm going to use that when I'm old because I'm right now going to say I'm not old. (laughs) Yeah, no, that was great. Uh, Some context for that line, however, though, is she's she's going to leave now. Right. Because it's awkward and she's too old for awkward, like you said. That was a heartbreaking moment for sure. And, And Picard, come on, man. It's (laughs) It's Laris. <laughs> That's all I have yeah. to say. Uh, I I don't know. I'm I'm mad at Picard at this point. Yeah, and you can tell he goes to try to say something, and, and he just doesn't. You know, and you got to think. Here's a man that has faced the Borg and all these politicians and presidents and his hubris and all these things that we've gotten from. He's able to stand up to anybody, but he can't just say something to a woman that he's possibly in love with. Or at least strongly interested. He just can't say, don't go. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just amazing that a man like that can do so much and has so much power and authority in his life and handled all these things can't do that one thing. I had know? that same thought watching this. Absolutely. Which then, of course, we go and we see he's making speech at Starfleet Academy in front of everybody. There's no stage fright there. <laughs> you know? Again, he's commanding the room and he's talking about being the last of the Picard line, which I thought was, that was an interesting piece too, that he's showing that his family line, that he's the end. He's, he's the period at the end of that sentence. Yeah. And this is a a theme they've played with, with Picard since Star Trek generations, right? That, you know, the family would go on, but now it won't because he chose, he made certain choices in his life and, there's no one else to carry the the name forward as well. This speech too, I have to say for what it retcons from Star Trek, the next generation, the series is one of my favorite things ever where he says that um, his mother, he talks about like all of the Picards who were explorers, but the quote that he wants to leave everyone with is from his mother who was not an explorer and she says she told him to look up and let's see what's out there, which is Picard's last line in Encounter at Farpoint when they're starting their mission on the Enterprise, when he leans forward in his chair and says, let's see what's out there. He was quoting his mother. That's yes. so cool. I love that. <laughs> I know. And that I, I thought, well, that's just a coincidence, right? Because what I've read online is that the writers don't know Star Trek. So that's what I've heard. Uh, yeah, they don't know what they're. No, yeah, that was ah, so good. So good. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I love that Raffi's there and, you know, oh, she's back in Starfleet. And then Elnor's there and he calls out Elnor's the first full Romulan cadet in Starfleet Academy and everybody applauds. It's like, there's no. So you see the three of them are still together and all that stuff. And Very then, cool. And and following in, in Worf's footsteps, right? Because yes. we had the, the enemy of the Federation, the Klingons, and then Worf was the first Klingon in Starfleet. And then the enemy of the Federation, the Romulans, and and Elnor is the first full Romulan in Starfleet. And nice covering their butts continuity-wise there with Picard saying first full Romulan because, of oh. course, we had Simon Tarses, who's like maternal grandfather was one quarter Romulan or something like that or some, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. 
Yeah, and Savic is apparently half Vulcan, half Romulan. Apparently, not in not not in canon, but right, possibly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I thought that was good too. And then even later in a later scene, while they're still down there, we see that Raffi and Elnor are assigned to the Excelsior, and there's all these you know plaques or whatever that's showing the different ships and you know his original Stargazer. But what I also liked is that book that he went to get that Laris helped him find was a book by Spock, and I like how he said you know that this is Spock talking about his experiences of, you know, being in Starfleet, joining Starfleet and going through the Academy because he was one of the first Vulcans to join Starfleet. And I like that one of the first, because there's always been debate in fandom where people say he was the first Vulcan and others say, well, that hasn't really been established. And And then of course we got to pull and enterprise and stuff. So I love how he says he was one of the first. I thought that mm-hmm. was clever too. Yeah. And, and we know even from the original series that he definitely wasn't the first because there was an entire ship full of Vulcans, the USS Intrepid. So that one's always bugged me that people thought he was the first. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it was always, they always said he was the first Vulcan in Starfleet though, which is definitely not true. Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I I thought it was cool they're going to the Excelsior. And we also heard a ship called the Akaru Sulu ship. Mm-hmm. But then in an earlier scene, we saw Seven and Nine, and she's on the La Serena, which we kind of knew this from some previews we saw before. And I loved, I loved the scenes of her fighting the pirates with the uh, hologram of Emmett, the Rios hologram, helping to fight and turn the safety protocols off so he can beat up one of the pirates and stuff. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool. I guess so. Seven mentions that they that she combined all of the holograms into one, basically, and like she's she's annoyed that this hologram still tries to look after her and stuff. I thought that was pretty great. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, he's questioning her, just like Laris is questioning Picard. Like, you know, why are you on your own? You know, yeah, she doesn't want a full crew. Yeah, he's like, why don't you get some like real people here, some real blood and bones on this ship? And she's just like, I don't want that. I don't want to, be, you know, I want to be alone. And of course, you know, we talked about the audio drama about her relationship with Rafi. I, did that audio drama come to mind while you were watching this episode? Because it did for me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the fact that Rafi is back in Starfleet and Seven of Nine's back with the Fenris Rangers and stuff. Yeah. All of that kind of figured uh, into that audio drama. And I, I love that we listened to that and that it came out in between. And so we kind of got that little bit of backstory there. And we get a little bit from Rafi about Seven of Nine as well, where, you know, she kind of wants a bit more of a relationship, but there's something kind of holding them back there as well. So that was all in my head watching that part for sure. Same here. It was perfect timing for that audio drama to come out. And then we've got Soji and Gerardi on... Raritan 4, where the Deltons are on, and, you know, <laughs> I I kind of liked how the Delton is flirting with Gerardi, and she's drunk, and I was thinking there's probably a lot of people that didn't like that scene. I don't know. Did you care for that scene or not? I thought it was great. I, first okay. of all, loved seeing the Deltons again. Yes. You know, Lieutenant Ilea, I think, is really the only one we've we've really seen on screen, at least featured at all. And so it was kind of nice to revisit that and show that they're on this goodwill tour to Federation worlds and stuff. 
And the Deltons, they're great. What a, what a great classic species from Star Trek, the motion picture. That's pretty cool. I know. And I was so proud of my wife. She goes, are those Deltons? And I'm like, yep. <laughs> nice. But then, uh, so yeah, Soji is talking to them and, you know, trying to do the synth relations with other species and stuff. And, you know, they left her behind. I was like, oh, is she going to be a one-time only character? But then I thought, oh, wait, that's not how this series is playing. Because we're going to have like a different alternate timeline and stuff going on eventually. But then Girardi goes back to the Stargazer where we see Captain Rios. And when I saw him with that cigar, I have to admit, I was like, okay, I don't want this man smoking on the bridge. But then I realized... <laughs> He never lights the cigar. No, I kind of love that actually that because they show, they make a point of showing him lighting the, the lighter a few times, right? but it's just an affectation, right? He never lights it. He's not actually smoking it. It's just kind of a, a, a something that he, that's just part of his character that he like an, an affectation. There's not really another better word for it. And I was like, you know, if Captain Styles in Star Trek three can have that ridiculous swagger stick that he walks around with. <laughs> yeah. Rios could have his cigar. Like it's fine, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm glad that he doesn't smoke it. That would have been just a little too far for me for sure. Yeah. It's one thing he smokes it on his own ship, but not on a Starfleet ship where it's smoking on the bridge. It would be kind of funny. Maybe they should do an episode of Lower Decks where there's a captain who likes to smoke on the bridge and everybody's smoking because he smokes and it's just smoke-filled bridge. <laughs> no, I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, the Stargazer is receiving all these static messages from the anomaly and, and Girardi translates it out and she's, you know, you know, ciphering it all out or whatever. And by the way, she's stumbling around the... <laughs> the bridge and 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 rios is just like let her do her thing just let her go like she'll you know she'll get this and then she gets the message help us picard and of course they look at each other like <gasps> oh and they also like reconnected with seven and nine i like how he's like what'd you do to my ship it reminded me of something you'd see in you know in star wars of han asking lando or lando asking han about the millennium of falcon you know yeah, for sure. But, you know, she, she's she been helping people who have nowhere else to turn, and sometimes that creates a few dents and scratches in a ship. So, yeah, she's yeah. she's a she's a Fenris Ranger. It comes with the territory. Absolutely. Like, what do you expect, right? You know, she's going to get in some trouble here and there. Can't be picture perfect. He, he obviously didn't keep it that way himself, so. But then we get the other scene with Guinan. So... You know, we saw some previews of this, too. And, you know, I didn't know she could age herself. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. That was clever. I I was, it, I don't feel personally that it was needed to explain why she looked older. Because I'm, I'm a little more forgiving of some of that stuff than some other fans are. But I guess they felt like they needed to explain why you know, this species who lives hundreds of years had aged so much in just a couple decades. I I personally don't think it was necessary, but I kind of applaud their effort that like, oh, okay, I guess they can age if they want to. And she just wanted to keep up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the same page with you. And she said, that, I was like, uh, okay, you know, but I'd rather just think, yeah, the actress is a little older. We'll just forgive that, you know, and in our minds think that she still looks pretty much the same, but 
I guess they need felt like they need to explain why she does look a little older, but okay. But I guess, you know, the explanation kind of makes sense. You know, people getting freaked out that you're always looking the same. And if she's been in that bar for a long period of time, and especially if people that she used to tend bar to at in 10 forward back on the enterprise show up every once so they might be a little freaked out. Like, my gosh, I'm getting older and look at you. You still look the way you did when I met you 30 years ago. <laughs> you know? So I guess I get it. But what, what, so I'm curious, did you like the, the conversation they had? And she's saying to Jean-Luc, the same things that Lars is like, you know, you're holding back. You just have that one final frontier yet to come. I really love this scene. Bringing Guinan into the show, the assumption for me was that, like, she'll recognize the changes in the timeline like she did before in yesterday's Enterprise. And I'm sure she'll have that role to play or something like it later in the season. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But the fact that they brought her in for this, for just a conversation to catch up on old times and to help her friend, I love that even more. Like... That's such a nice use of this character who supposedly knows Picard better than anybody else in the galaxy. You know, they have a relationship that transcends friendship and it transcends family, I think is what she said at at one point. And, And I love that. I love seeing that play out here. This was such a lovely reunion between these characters and that we got to see it was was just a nice little treat. Yeah, I love how he still goes back to her, you know, that when he's in those situations, he can always turn to Guinan and she's always there. And this now new version of 10 forward, you know, and, and then I started thinking about it, that as they go back in time in the upcoming episodes, if he returns to her, how's she going to look? If she's aged herself at this point, she won't look the same back then. I wonder, will we see Guinan again? Oh, you're wondering if we'll see her in the 21st century. Yes. Oh, I I don't know. I didn't even think of that. I just thought we'd see her again in the 25th century, but I I didn't. Yeah, maybe that would be. Yeah, well, we'll find out. We'll see. But then back at the chateau, Picard leaves the chateau after Admiral Whitley shows up and shows him this message that they received about, you know, help us Picard. And so he's going to have to go and join the Stargazer and try to help this diplomatic conversation with whatever's coming out of the anomaly because the Admiral's portraying this as, you know, they want to be citizens of the Federation. And it's like, and but they'll only talk to you, Picard. I mean, I was thinking, like, would they, you know, I don't know, would you form a, uh, bring people in the Federation you, you'd that only talk to him and they're in this anomaly. Like, I think they would have more ships there on standby just in case. Yeah. And and we do see, they do bring a lot more ships there later. Yeah. But it seems that happened. I think when the Borg showed up then. Okay. Yeah. Which is a strange looking Borg ship. It's not the, the cube we're used to. Yeah. This kind of starburst thing. I don't know. Really interesting. There's not much about the Borg that, that looks like it did before. Interestingly enough, of course, when the queen beams on board the stargazer as well. Yeah. what did you think of that queen? I was like, why does the queen look like that? We have the actual original actress who played the queen. Why, why that garb? 
Well, we don't actually, she's played by a different actress this time around. We don't have the original actress. Oh, I thought her. we did. Oh, okay. No, no. The Borg Queen's played by Annie Wershing uh, this season. Okay. And we've, t- we've talked about it in previous episodes, but uh, yeah, she's, uh, She's been on Star Trek Enterprise in a small role before, but yeah, the Queen was recast with a with a new actor, uh, Annie Wershing, who looks incredible as the Borg Queen that we've seen in in the trailers. Uh, but yeah, definitely a different form that she's taking at this point, which is interesting. You know, I do remember having that conversation on previous episodes. Now that you mention it, but I I guess I was thinking, what was her name, Alice? Uh, well, there were two. The original is Alice Kriege from Star Trek Kriege. First Contact, and yeah. uh, Susanna Thompson played the role in Voyager as well. Yeah, because I thought I heard the original actress said she was looking forward to coming back, so maybe I'm confused. <laughs> I don't know. But no, anyway. De- definitely not. <laughs> okay. But anyway, yeah, because I was like, she doesn't quite look the same exactly, but close, yes, uh, obviously. But I love that the Stargazer also had the upgrades, the Borg upgrades that they had they got from the artifact from season one and now this queen is taking these tentacles and trying to you know bring energy out of the ship and taking over the ship and the whole fleet of ships that showed up which by the way do not all look alike as they did towards the end of season one yeah that was pretty cool so we have some older classes like we have some nebula classes uh there's some luna class ships like riker's titan in there as well, as well as a bunch of ships from Star Trek Online, which is pretty cool. That's a neat little bit of uh, crossing the streams a little bit from different parts of the franchise. Very nicely done on this fleet, for sure. So, yeah, then that whole scene on the bridge and she's uh, but see, that's the other thing. She's she's shooting those who are shooting at her, which did it kind of piss you off that Rios is telling them to stand down. His crew's not even listening to him. Thank you. I was like, they have a serious discipline problem on this ship. Rios keeps ordering ceasefire, stop firing, and they keep shooting. And I kind of forgive it a little later when the security team that we saw at the beginning comes onto the bridge and starts firing because they didn't hear that order. But before that happens, there's a bunch of people that just, they keep shooting at this thing and, and they need to stop. Rios ordered them to stop multiple times. I was, I was like yelling at the screen, like, follow your orders. What are you doing? <laughs> I was too. I was like, why don't they listen to him? But the, I thought it was interesting too, that Girardi says they're being stunned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not being killed. They're just being stunned. Right. And I mean, why would the Borg do that? Like, what do the Borg care to stun someone? Why don't they just kill them, right? Like, there's something going on with this Borg. There's something going on, but also the cynical part of me will be like, well, you don't want to kill your potential drones. Mm, I love that, yeah. I I don't think that's what's going on, but it's possible. (laughs) Yes. So then, yeah, so then the countdown to, you know, Picard orders the self-destruct. The ship's counting down like we saw at the very beginning of the episode. Of course, we're seeing it replayed here. And the queen tells Jean-Luc to look up, just like his mother said. And he's like, what? And of course, then we see the ship and all the other ships in the fleet, like just this explosion happen. And I'm like, there you go, Dan. See, I knew they'd kill everybody off. Now there's no more episodes left. Mm -hmm. But we find Picard waking up. 
back at the chateau in the greenhouse. He's a bit confused, and he's got the Starfleet Delta symbol on his shirt there, but it looks a little different, and he's walking around the chateau. He's calling for Laris, and then one of these synth Harvey shows up. <laughs> he's saying, I can do for you, sir. And you, you can tell he's already like, something's not right. This isn't right. And what I was hoping would happen, they actually did, was then Q shows up looking like the original Q. Yeah, I thought of you during that moment. And I was kind of hoping they'd do this. I didn't actually think they would. And I remembered you saying, like, I think they're going to do that. And they did. And full credit to you, Bruce. That was awesome. It was it was pretty good. I, I even went back later and kind of paused on it. It's like, it looks pretty good. They did a pretty good job of making Q look like TNG era Q. That was great. Yeah, I didn't go back. Oh, no, I did go back. <laughs> I did go back and look another time. But then this, the second time I watched the episode, I was really looking. I was like, I'm like, I'm with you. Really good job. I mean, really, really spot on there, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I love how he's like, oh, look at you, Picard. Looking old. Let me... Even wants to look the same age, you know, and it just makes so much sense because you said too when we discussed that that that's what Q would do. He would emulate how the other looks. Like, oh, you're a Starfleet uniform. I'm gonna wear a Starfleet uniform. You know, those kind of things. Yeah, for sure. I would have liked it personally. I maybe it would have been a bit too far, but if at the beginning he showed up looking like his younger self, if he was also wearing like the TNG style uniform. Oh, yeah. And then, like, snap, now he's wearing, like, the sleek black duds, but, yeah, that's okay. Ah, uh, that would have been cool, too. <laughs> I like that idea. That would have been really good. But, so, yeah, the, this then concludes the episode where, you know, he echoes what he said in TNG, at, you know, and all good things about the trial never ends. And then I love this line where he says, welcome to the very end of the road not taken. Ooh, what does it mean? <laughs> I don't know, but I have to tell you, I'm going to just tell you right now, five out of five grapes for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how could it be anything else? I'm absolutely right there with you. I loved this episode. It looked beautiful. I was just like grinning at certain parts through the whole episode because it was so terrific. Uh, seeing these characters again, seeing Starfleet again, seeing Picard and Rafi in Starfleet again, and Rios as captaining the Stargazer. All of it was just so good. Um, I don't really have much more to add other than, I think, five out of five ships that don't look like each other in a wonderful <laughs> fleet. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about the whole, the ships looking a lot alike in Picard season one. I thought was Riker doing the Picard maneuver that those weren't all the ships weren't there. They were just reflections. <laughs> well, they'd already done that in that same episode with La Serena. So right. I don't know if the Romulans would have fallen for it twice. <laughs> no, maybe. I don't know. But yeah. But yeah, uh, again, yeah, five out of five grapes for me. I, I I don't know what to say except what we've been talking about. It, like you said, it looks great. All the stuff is there. It, I mean, it's just I, I just can't wait till the next episode. I'll just put it out there, right? Like that, and it's going to be great because 
I think the next episode also is going to be really good. And we're coming to the conclusion of this season of discovery. And I feel like that's really going to build up on the next episode. I think we're in for a wild ride for the next two weeks. I think so too. Yeah. And definitely some double-sized episodes of, of positively Trek as well, which uh, it's a lot of editing work. So yikes, but uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. Well, Dan, when you're not, sucked into two episodes of Star Trek. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can also find me on YouTube.com slash Kurtrats Productions and in the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook. And I'm in that discussion group too, but you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. I'm also on Instagram at just Admiral Rex. I don't really post much there, but I am looking around. And you can also find me occasionally on the Star Wars Report podcast and Literary Treks. And again, you will probably see me at Star Trek Mission Chicago. So hope to see you there. And you can also send us an email, PositivelyTrek at gmail.com. And follow us on Twitter at PositivelyTrek. And join our Goodreads group uh, for our book club there to see what books are coming up here on our book club episodes. So thanks, everyone, for joining us. And as we always say, stay positive. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.